Okay, the reading is from 2 Timothy 2, uh, beginning at verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Thanks, Mark. Um, I guess as a church, we would define ourselves to being a word and spirit church. We love pursuing the things of the spirit. We love seeing what he wants to do, uh, the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives daily, gifts of the spirit. We've been doing a season, though, on the fruits of the spirit, and we're carrying on with that tonight. Um, as, as a church, um, we love the word, and we love sharing that and, and encouraging people to um, <clears throat> move in their gifts and explore gifts. And Miles tonight, for the first time, is going to be preaching. And uh, we're really excited about that. And we're kind of going to do a bit of a tag team um, preach tonight. Um, Miles is going to do most of the work, though, which is good. Um, when Sarah and I moved to Bristol back, from Bristol back in 2005, we loved moving to Bath. Bath's not a bad place to end up in. One of the struggles we had when we moved here, we, we were working in, in a city with a real multicultural diversity. Um, we were working right across the city, but in parts like St. Paul's, working with the Jamaican uh, community, uh, Afro-Caribbean community. Uh, there's a great, vibrant Polish community there and also um, Chinese community. One of the things we noticed when we moved to Bath is it's not quite like that. And church can often be incredibly kind of one culture. So it's my absolute delight and pleasure to tonight to be helping that whole cultural diversity by um, encouraging somebody who's Welsh to come and speak with us. So now he's a wonderful, wonderful man. 
Miles. Uh, great, uh, great asset. Real, real. I know many of you students know him and love being around him. Um, and he is gifted in many ways. He often speaks very quickly. I assure you he's not speaking Welsh. It is English. Um, and so I have got some little signs that you might see me holding up to encourage him saying, slow down. Um, so um, it's going to be a joy tonight. And Miles has got some brilliant things he's going to share. So uh, without any more ado, I'm going to hand over to him. Good evening, everyone. Can you all hear me at back? Just those in the cheap seats right back near me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So as, as Tim was saying, um, we've been going through Fruits of the Spirit. I'm saying that's in our, in our reading services. Um, we've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Um, and would you believe that tonight is the penultimate fruit um, of gentleness? Now, when, whilst I was um, preparing this, um, I tried to find, look at um, and try and find a quick-fire definition of gentleness, which I could share with you all. Um, and whilst I was looking, I found that really hard, um, something which is really difficult. I think gentleness can be interpreted in many ways, um, using lots of different words, both in positive and negative lights. Um, so we're going to start this evening by doing something a little bit different. Um, for two or three minutes, I'd like you to turn to the people next to you um, and have a discussion about some of those words, um, what gentleness might mean to you, um, what words could be used to describe gentleness. Do those words display it in a positive or a negative way? Do you think those words paint a true picture of what gentleness really is? Turn to those next to you, have a chat, and um, we'll call you back in two or three minutes. Um, so I'm just going to spend a few minutes now unpacking that, because um, as we can see, it means a lot, um, lots of different words which can be used to describe gentleness. Um, like every good church English sermon, um, I'm going to be covering this in three points. Gentleness in our relationship with one another, gentleness in our relationship with God, and gentleness in God's relationship with us. Have you ever met anyone who really grinds up against you? That course mate at university, that colleague in your workplace, that annoying housemate who doesn't do any of their washing up, that annoying housemate who does all of the washing up, and then leaves passive-aggressive postings around the house. Um, I was on placement last year in London. Um, I was working in a small office, and my desk was situated. And in a perfect position, such that you could hear every single sound that was in the office, no matter where that sound was coming from. This was useful in certain situations, um, but did have the drawback of meaning I was able to hear everyone's annoying ringtones. Those of you who work in an office will know that ringtones can be repetitive and annoying. Nothing will make you question your life choices more than hearing the same noise, repetitive noise, 20 times a day. And every time someone's ringtone went off, I found it um, a struggle to resist the urge to make an audible groan of annoyance. And whilst that's a rather petty and simplistic example, I think it shows that we can be, it can be easy to lash out to those people we don't see eye to eye with. In our places of work, in our homes and 
often in our churches, in many churches, I think, the go-to form of rebuking and correcting when someone's struggling in sin can be one of shaming and humiliation. That isn't what should be happening. In the passage Mark read to us, Paul says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And I think that it's in our restraining of that reflex action to lash out that the, fruit, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit's fruit of gentleness is best displayed in us. Gentleness allows us to correct, rebuke, and discuss our differences of opinion without burning our bridges. Gentleness allows us to acknowledge and accept when we are the ones who need correcting and rebuking. We are filled with the fruit of gentleness. We'll do those things in easiness and with love for one another. I think that evangelism too often requires gentleness. Too many evangelistic conversations can descend into a contest of who has the better argument. Proverbs 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And when we approach evangelism in the wrong way, we may often end up winning the argument. But how often do we end up winning the person? 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Being gentle in our evangelism doesn't involve watering down the truth to make it palatable. Nor does it involve the avoidance of those difficult conversations altogether. It says that we should always be prepared to defend the truth that we hope in. But we have to do so in a way that is gentle and respectful. And I think we can only do that as we grow in and seek after gentleness. Um, I went home last weekend after finishing exams. Um, a bit of a break in bath life. And I came home to find that my parents had been busy making many DIY home improvements. Um, one of the things they'd done was construct a new fence around our garden. This was primarily to stop my dog pushing through the hedge and escaping into next door's garden. Despite their best efforts, the man still pinned up at our front door one day, saying that our dog was currently residing on his driveway. My dog is sneaky. She loves to escape and explore, um, even though she knows that we are the ones who love her and feed her. I think that's an apt example of what our relationship with God can look like at times. We often wander away from the right path, even though, that we, even though we know it's God who feeds us and loves us. I think that once we have wandered away, it's our own stubbornness that often prevents us from easily coming back. It's therefore important to have a gentle attitude towards God. It allows Him to guide us back when we wander away from the right path. Therefore, Him who influences our decisions and not our own stubborn hearts. 
when we submit our lives to God and place our strength under His guidance. That can seem like a daunting and scary thing to do at times. Having a gentle attitude towards God is to allow Him to work in your life in whatever way He chooses. Sometimes I get the sense that I'm happy for God to use me and work in me, as long as He doesn't try to take away my education, my family, my friends, anything else I hold dear. Are we too often happy for God to use us and work in us as long as it doesn't rock our boat? We can choose what influences our words and our actions. Being gentle towards God is to allow Him to work in our lives. It's to recognise that His ways are high above our ways. John the Baptist, who I think many of you would agree exuded confidence, understood this. He displayed true gentleness when he said, You must increase, I must decrease. When our attitude towards God is one of gentleness, and it is God who is glorified in our lives over ourselves, as it does become less about ourselves and more about Him, then we are more able to effectively share the gospel. It is, perhaps unsurprisingly, Jesus who gives us the perfect picture of gentleness. Matthew 21 says, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. The maker of the universe, the king of heaven, doesn't come riding on a stallion or chariot. He doesn't come with demands and decrees, nor does he come to rebuke in anger. Rather, he bows low to wash the feet of the men he knew were going to betray him, desert him, and deny him. Jesus had no obligation to come down from heaven and die on the cross. He could rightly have rebuked humanity in anger. But instead, he chooses to humble himself and take the burden of our own sin and shame upon himself. He didn't resist the indignity of death on the cross, but instead chose to suffer in our place. It says in Isaiah 53, Like a lamb that's left the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Meekness is the word we spoke about earlier in our discussion. Meekness can also mean submissiveness. And it's a Trait that Jesus image displays by his death on the cross. Weakness is another word that we spoke about. I think that often weakness and weakness can be seen as the same thing. In fact, one of the examples presented to you when you Google weakness is this all his best friends make fun of him for his weakness. It can seem at times mixed. Being gentle does involve forfeiting of one's own strength. Using Jesus as an example once again, I don't think that this is a true picture of what gentleness really is. After all, the man who showed ultimate humility on the cross is the same man who, at the very sight of injustice, turned over tables. land of this. Displaying gentleness is not analogous to being a pushover, 
Rather, it is the quality that Jesus demonstrates by his death on the cross. A selfless willingness to put the needs of others above his own. A restraining of his own power and strength, so that love might prevail. So with him as our example, let's leave this place today encouraged and resolved to to pursue that same gentle spirit in us. I'll hand over to Tim now to give some closing thoughts. He did great, didn't he? I had some signs to hold up, sort of things like bit slower, remember slow. But then what I really needed was doing great. I thought I might need a bit less Welsh, but I didn't need that one. So um, you did great, Miles. You were so good. Gentleness. We heard all, had those words up there. It's interesting, isn't it? And kind of lots of pros, but lots of negatives. And I think in the world often, as Miles has said, we struggle to understand what gentleness should look like beyond sort of being nice and quiet, maybe. What does it actually look like? Gentleness is so often misunderstood and undervalued, where often it seems people either in life kind of strongly overreact or passively underreact. It's hard to know quite how to be at times. I don't know if any of you here have ever met an elephant he says, turning left at the travel lights. Anyone ever met an elephant? Um, a few people here perhaps have done. Jenny in Africa has. And, um, last summer, I and my family had the privilege of, of seeing some rescued elephants um, in, uh, near Western, no, not at all, in Sri Lanka. And um, it was amazing, this kind of refuge that was there. Beautiful, beautiful animals. We actually got to ride on some elephants. And you realise the power of these beasts as you sit on their back. Incredibly powerful. And yet exquisitely gentle as well. We fed them bananas and uh, their trunk, this just incredible trunk. Apparently it has 40,000 individual muscles, which can tenderly take a banana literally out of your hand. And I talked to my kids about it. It was just mesmerizing. And yet these same trunks can snap trees and uproot them from the ground. Because with an elephant, it's all about precise control. Strength coupled with precise control. It's really interesting, um, a whole list of things here. We'll get down at the bottom. So the controlled strength, that's exactly it, isn't it? And that's what we see with an elephant, able with this trunk that can rip up trees to pick up a single blade of grass. And somehow in, in Jesus you see that, don't you? The lion and the lamb. The one who flung stars into space. The one who is there at the beginning of creation. The one, the king of kings, the lord of lords. The one who could call on a host of angel armies tenderly reaches out to the woman caught in adultery and takes hold of her hand and speaks tenderly to her with love and grace and compassion who reached out to the leper that beautiful image of the leper who was outside of the community because leprosy wasn't just a physical disease it was a social disease you were excluded from worship you were excluded from eating communally with other people you were set outside the camp you were put outside and you you lived on your own you were isolated and here this leper comes to Jesus he'd often spoken the word hadn't he and spoken healing say you're healed receive your healing but what does Jesus do to the leper? he reaches out and touches him and says you're healed what a beautiful image of the all-powerful King of Kings reaching out and taking hold of someone's hand with such tenderness, restrained power with such tenderness. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, as Miles said, 
and it's interesting to see what we've learned from that whole period of time, realizing the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Paul lists gentleness in the translation we've heard of the eighth one. He uses a Greek word, prautes, which actually is, is really better translated as meekness. We have that helpfully shared. Meekness is a word that's not really used much or understood much in society, so most translations use the word gentle. But meekness is a helpful word because gentleness often refers to an action. We do something gently. Whereas meekness is more about a whole state of being, a whole state of mind, which Miles spoke about. We're to be meek, yielded, teachable, responsive. To be gentle, humble. Jesus said in Matthew 5.5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5.5. 5. That's a pretty big reward for, for being meek. For, for gentleness. And so meekness is not about weakness. That's good. Write that down. Meekness is not about weakness. But the truth is, often we feel weak. Don't we? You know, all of us at times feel weak. We, we struggle maybe in the workplace, we struggle in relationships, we struggle with confidence. But what I want to say to you, kind of as we wrap up tonight, is that you actually contain incredible power. You are a vessel of extraordinary power. Human nature actually is an incredibly powerful force. What do I mean by that? Well, we can speak words that can influence and shape others, often unwittingly. Some of you will have experienced that as you grow up. Parents, teachers who spoke words over you, which hopefully built you up, but may well have torn you down as well. Because words carry power. Words can be destructive. Words can crush our spirit. Why? Because we have incredible power within us to build up or tear down. Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, I was really, genuinely, really, really convicted by the Holy Spirit about sarcasm. I used to be really good at sarcasm. But God showed me in an instant what it did to someone's soul. While everyone else was laughing, and for me it was a defense mechanism, because if they were laughing with me, they weren't laughing at me. They were laughing at someone else. But God in a moment showed me what it did to somebody's soul as the power of sarcasm rips somebody else down. And it's not just words, is it? We can also act in ways that help or hurt. And we choose, I think, what influences inform our words and actions. The worldview, our fallen sinful nature, <clears throat> or God's kingdom, his spirit and his ways. We carry real power within us. Extraordinary power that we don't always understand. We're made in the image of God, so it shouldn't surprise us. And with an extraordinary capacity to powerfully engage in and with creation... Being honest, human power under human control is a half-broken weapon in the hands of a child. You see the destruction it can cause. But true kingdom gentleness places our strength, places that strength under God's guidance and is an extraordinary fruit of the Holy Spirit and becomes a really beautiful, useful tool for his kingdom. Gentleness, then, constrains power and channels that power to experience and live in the reality of the supernatural gift of charism. So that's what it is. It's a gift, isn't it, really? It's fruit of the Spirit. So that we continually and increasingly yield to God's purpose, to God's ways, to God's thoughts. And actually, that's a really wise thing, to yield to God, to his ways and his thoughts, and to take advantage of his nature, his gentleness, 
because actually it's pretty wise because he's omniscient and I'm not. I might like to think I know everything. Um, I tell my wife that I know everything. Um, but God says, I'm a man as well, we tend to think we know everything, but God says to Job and therefore to me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God knows everything, past, present, future. And, and, and somehow yielding to him and allowing him to shape us so that we can become gentle vessels of his power is about recognising we need to submit to him and yield our own hearts and our inner natures, which has the propensity to not be gentle, but to override, to crush, to form an opinion based on our own experiences, our own understanding, to make snap decisions, to say things quickly, to, to respond with anger, to respond in other human forms, rather than saying, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit, so that I don't become like a petulant teenager, crying out, you just don't understand God. So we all have that capacity within us. God's ways are higher than us. God's thoughts are better than us. When we're filled with the Spirit, fruit of gentleness, it means we're giving up our right to judge for ourselves what's best for ourselves and for others. We learn to correct others with tenderness, just like Jesus did. He didn't balk at that, did he? Even the woman caught in adultery. I kind of often think, where's the bloke in that scenario? It usually takes two to be caught in adultery, but here's the woman dragged to Jesus, and think typical. She's being shamed. And Jesus speaks tenderly and beautifully to her. But he also then says, now leave this life of sin. Challenging others, but with tenderness, with gentleness, with clarity and ease, instead of arguing in resentment or anger. Because of course it's always more important that the importance of their healing and their salvation than my rightness. When we're filled with God's spirit of gentleness, we learn to forgive readily. Because any offence towards us is nothing compared to our offences against God. Offences is already forgiven. I think also, and this is important if you're in any form of leadership or position, that when you're filled with God's Spirit and it's fruit of gentleness, any competition or platform building disappears. It has to. Because the goal becomes less about us and it becomes all about Him. Certainly, as a leader, I'm not interested in that. platform. All we want here is an altar for his glory. So, as Miles beautifully shared, gentleness then isn't some weak, fluffy timidity or niceness. It's a heavenly warhead. When you think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, think weaponized fruit. Gentleness, I would suggest to you, is a bunker buster can blow things apart. It's intended to tear down and demolish demonic strongholds and powerfully build up and establish kingdom rule. The weapons of warfare aren't earthly, but they're divine. And the fruit of the Spirit is divine to bring transformation to culture, to circumstances, wherever God's placed us. So we're going to pray. We're going to just worship as we close and we've had a band back up. Now. <laughs> They're so relaxed, the band. I love that. <laughs> Here's the challenge for all of us, myself included. Philippians 4 5. 
this is the call for all of us. And while Miles and I were sitting talking about this, and I see it in Miles' life, a beautiful gentleness, that's why it seems so right for him to come and speak on this, a tenderness matched to conviction to see God's kingdom come. Philippians 4, 5 says this, Let your gentleness be evidence of all. And then it says this, The Lord is near. That's the challenge, isn't it? Is watching, not in a kind of waiting to poke us and say, look how terrible we are, but he's near. He wants to be with us by his spirit. He is here with us by his spirit, and he's coming back. He's coming back to find his vibrant, beautiful church, radiant. He's near. And the Father urges his bride, urges you and me, for gentleness to be evident towards one another, to the world that craves power but doesn't understand the true power of gentleness in love. Let me pray for us. Let's just pray.